Welcome to Bears Over Beers. I'm Jeff Perkins, a writer for Windy City Gridiron, and I'm joined, as always, by EJ Snyder. EJ, holidays are upon us. We've got a great guest. The Bears are traveling to the Pacific Northwest, your neck of the woods. Things are looking pretty good. How are you doing tonight? I'm good. I am somewhat looking forward to the game, but that's just kind of a factor of where the Bears are. But yeah, Christmas is right around the corner. Uh, Holiday is in the air for sure. And we do have a fantastic guest. Um, Somebody I've done a lot of work with in the past and love working with Brandon Schulz from the Field Goals podcast. Brandon, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. I feel like you guys are kind of overselling it, though. Great guest. I mean, I'm I'm average. Like I'm pretty good to average. Let's uh, we're let's, pushing the bar up. Spot. Yeah. Now we're pushing the bar up. We're gonna we're gonna make it. Uh, we're gonna make it so you're slightly uncomfortable. But we do want you to come back, so not Excellent. terribly right. uncomfortable. But as it's bears over beers, uh, did you bring a beer? I did. I I haven't cracked it open yet, but uh, I have brought cow in a coal mine. And this okay. is um, this is from Glacier Brewing, which is uh, in Polson, Montana. It's just about an hour south from where I am here in Kalispell, and it's a milk oh. stout with cocoa nib, brewed with cocoa nibs and vanilla. Dang! And it's it's Full an eight percent ABV in a sixteen ounce can. So, yeah, I don't know how long we're doing this for, but uh, yeah, we'll get some takes out of you. That's nice. <laughs> um, I have a. A can which JB will like because it's got great can art on it. This is from Boundary Bay Brewing right up in Bellingham. This is their seasonal. It is Cabin Fever. It is 8.7 by volume, only 37 IBUs, so you could probably handle it, JB. And then it says 20 SRM, and I don't even know what that is, so I should probably study up. But you'll love the can art. It's got like a big snowy cabin on it, some trees. Very, very festive, very seasonal. What do you got, JB? I have been to both of those breweries. By the way, really, uh, I had yeah, I was out in Glacier National Park a few years ago. Uh, spent some time out in Montana. I have a friend uh, that that lives out there, and um, and, an, and another friend that they have two friends that lives out there. And then I ran a half marathon in Missoula, oh. and so I had spent some time out there and hit some, hit up some breweries. And then I spent five weeks in Bellingham, uh, you know, back in 2013, uh, doing an environmental economics thing. So I can get nerdy on that stuff on a different podcast. But anyway, what I brought on tonight is peppermint bark Yeti, one of the Yeti variations. And this was very Christmas themed. So um, I, I brought that on. I've already poured half of it out for my wife. She, she is drinking the other half because last week I'm drank the entire pint of 11% chocolate malty balls. That was too much. I did not like how I sounded at the end of the podcast. So we will pace a little better today. Um, but this is a little lighter than that. It's nine and a half, still pretty strong. Um, and I've got, you know, half of that sitting in this glass here. So I'm very excited for this one. So Yeti's a good beer. Yeti's a good beer. I enjoy uh, the, the different varieties. They're, they're kind of getting a little overboard with a number of varieties that they have now. There's, you know, there's chai Yeti, there's, you know, pumpkin spice Yeti. There's, there's, there's too many, but pumpkin bark, that sounds pretty good. Based on the descriptions of all of them, yours is the one I'm most jealous of. <laughs> yeah. See, there you go. Yep. I'm outnumbered and that is okay. All right. Well, Seahawks, Bears, I mean, combined, they've got, enough wins to maybe be a wild card team so uh you know we've got that going for us two bad teams uh two teams that 
certainly are underperforming expectations this year. But we want to talk about some interesting things that we, um, you know, EJ and I have talked about, about the Seahawks. We kind of want to hear more from an insider perspective. Um, just get into some specifics first, then we'll go a little high level after that. So specifics, if anybody watched that game, Seahawks uh, pass rush started to look pretty good, dialing up some stuff that and, and, and getting home in the last game. Uh, Carlos Dunlap having three sacks by himself. Uh, uh, I think he had a, a sack and a half coming into that game. So strong outing from him. So do you is this like a new resurgence? Was that just a blip in the road? Do you think that they're going to have some success against this Bears offensive line that has improved as the year has gone on, but overall is struggling? Uh, I think they're leading the league or up near the top of sacks allowed. Let's see. Is Jermaine Effetti still on the Bears offensive line? Uh, he sure is. He uh, made a lot of people upset by scolding Tevin Jenkins um, after Jenkins tried to stick up for Justin Fields. That might be uh, he, he's kind of on the list right now. Because we'll I, I feel like we should do all right in the sacks department if Jermaine Effetti <laughs> is still on the offensive line. It, it, for, for Dunlap, though, it's kind of something that. I don't know, as fans, we've kind of been pounding the table for him to see more playing time because last year he was really the the guy who was responsible for the resurgence in the Seahawks pass rush in the second half of the season. The the defense, I don't know if you remember back to last season, but they were on this historic pace to allow the most yards in NFL history. And it kind of started out the way the same way this season, too. And he wasn't getting a lot of playing time for whatever reason. And if it has to do with age and uh, the, the Seahawks just decided that they wanted to limit his snaps. And it was just two, three games ago, I think either before the Texans or the game before where he had maybe it was a handful of snaps. It was somewhere between four and seven. Not enough. And for a guy like Carlos Dunlap and then you know, being down in Houston at that game, it was so weird watching the substitutions because he would run out there on the field and, you know, okay, Dunlap's going in and then he would come off and they had this really confusing substitution thing going on. And I don't know if, you know, he's just so eager to get out there or if they were struggling with, with that sort of thing. And I'm just, I mean, why do you save that guy even at his age for the end of a season when you're, you're struggling I, I think with the Rams, it had more to do with the fact that, you know, Havenstein, I think, was on the COVID list. And mm -hmm. so he was going up against backups most of the time. And I think the freshness of Dunlap for not having played him a lot this season, some of the frustrations that he's had with that, and then mix that in with backup level talent on the offensive line for the Rams. That's what led to his, his three sack performance. Backup level talent. That's why you brought mm -hmm. up Jermaine Effetti uh, because you <laughs> experienced the Jermaine Effetti life for yeah. uh, a number of years. I have. And, um, you know, it was kind of funny because I was listening to Brandon Marshall, a former Seahawk, former bear, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Talk about the, uh, the fact that the Seahawks hadn't given Russell Wilson enough help on the offensive line and saying, you know, they, they don't draft offensive linemen in the first round. And I was like, oh, well, they kind of drafted Jermaine Avetti in the first round and, you know, we see how that <laughs> went, but uh, he was a four year starter. Uh, I guess that's what you can say about him. And uh, congratulations on him being on your team. He, he played games and, and wore the uniform that, that that's what you're saying. He, he started and he was rarely injured. So there was that. <laughs> well, you know, availability oh, is important for an offensive line. Availability is an ability. 
<laughs> this this is the largest chorus of faint praise I think we could possibly assemble for a player. Uh, yep, he showed up. He wore blue twice. And uh, yeah, he wasn't hurt much. Yeah, Avedi has said that availability is the best ability, but eh. yeah, it's not exactly <laughs> true. Um, no, you you probably be seeing some Jermaine Fetty. Uh, Larry Borum is is coming off. He might be splitting time at right tackle. We don't really know um, what that's going to look like. But either way, the Bears line has not been terribly cohesive this year. Um, they are starting a rookie at left tackle. That'll be for sure. So there'll be opportunities there. Um, the Dunlap thing is confusing though, because yeah, like you said, at his age, what do you, what are you saving him for? Like if you're saving him, keep saving him because there's no reason to play him now. You know, the, the, I think they are trying to get more playing time for Daryl Taylor, who mm. was the, the guy they took in the second round, um, a couple of years back and he was out all last season. And so this really is kind of his rookie year and he's, he's, he's leading the team in sacks. He's leading the team in quarterback hits. So I think they're kind of looking at him as the future of that position and wanting to get him as much playing time. But I, I kind of see it as, you know, he, he's the type of guy who I, I feel like has that speed to, you can move him around a little bit. He's almost, you know, has linebacker type speed where uh, they've kind of been using Benson Mayoa on the defensive line. And I, I don't know. I, I would rather if if I had my choice, I would like to have Dunlap and Taylor as the two ends, but that's not really what they've been doing primarily. What about Decaf Metcalf, my <laughs> my favorite wide receiver? What's what's up with him? It seems like he's kind of disappeared. EJ wants to know if we should put his picture on the side of a milk carton. I don't know if they do that anymore. I haven't seen a milk carton in a while, but maybe they still put pictures on there. Um, what what happened to him? Where, what, what's going on right now? It is kind of the decaf version. I'm I'm waiting for the full calf version of Metcalf. And uh, yeah, you know, they had this great start to the season. And for a while, you could give the excuse, well, Tyler Lockett is just having this great season. And so if the defense is going to focus the attention on DK, then, oh, yeah, let's let's have Tyler with these 150 yard plus games and multiple touchdowns. And he became the third uh, well, just the second receiver to have three 1,000-yard seasons in back-to-back-to-back years. The other guy to do it twice was Steve Largent. So pretty significant accomplishment for Tyler Lockett. It, it kind of shows you that link that he has with Russell. And with DK, I, I don't know if, uh, it, it, if it's something with the Waldron offense. They just don't seem to have the type of... Um, they just don't seem to run on the types of plays just to get him the football in, in certain situations. So it's frustrating, but I think that I don't think that there's necessarily anything there. It's just those, those guys seem to be off. And with Russ coming back off of injury, uh, it, uh, they just haven't seemed to, to really find that chemistry that he and Tyler seem to have. So it was a big deal with Tyler being out for the Rams game, but hopefully he should be back here in time for the bears. I don't, we have different definitions of hopefully. Um, <laughs> I, I, I will say the bears have never had a, a, a wide receiver have three straight thousand yard seasons. So uh, the fact that you have two of them and you have not been around as long, Hey, we didn't pass offense back then, you know, nearly as much, but uh, yeah, we've, we've never seen that. From not a whole lot of thousand yard receivers prior to 76 anyway. So I think, yeah. Yeah, it's been a rough history. Everybody's like tied with two, um, including Brandon Marshall, by the way. He, hey. he, he did put up a couple thousand yarders. So 
I just I gotta ask. I picked up Rashad Penny because all of the in my fantasy team because all of the uh, you know fantasy pundits were like he's gonna be a league winner. He's gonna he's gonna get all the carries and he's just gonna be great. I was like, all right, fine, I'll pick him up. And uh, he's uh, not did not have a great game. Now is that against? Is that because it's the Rams or is it because Rashad Penny is Rashad Penny? And then you've got a guy by the name of DJ Dallas who. I didn't know as a human person. I'm sure EJ, you know, scouted him, uh, you know, 50 hours of, of tape on him, but he's averaging over five yards a carry. I mean, why are we still trying to make Rashad Penny a thing? Yeah, it's now, did you pick him up after the Texans game then, thinking that <laughs> that was just going to be how things were going to go from there forward or? Yeah, well, because that's what everybody said. They said, pick them up. And so I said, all right, fine. I mean, I, I have bench space, you know, it's, it's, yeah. I'm trying to catch lightning and, and, and I need it. Right. Like Eckler's on the COVID list. Sure. Eckler's my number one back. Yeah. Fantasy playoffs. Why not? I mean, I gotta have a, I gotta have a body and right? had, you know, just one really good game against the Texans because, you know, uh, that's a, a sign, a sure sign of uh, an outstanding running back is when they can have a good game against the Texans. <laughs> That's generally how I pick my running back. Oh man, no wonder your team's struggling. But Penny I'm in the just, playoffs. What are we talking about? My I, team's not struggling. Yeah, I, I wouldn't good. count on him. I I, I don't yeah. know. Look, he could have a good game. He could have a, a game where he comes in. You know, his first game back from injury because he he had an AC. He's been just routinely injured, which is really a, a bummer because coming out of college, one of the reasons why they picked him over Nick Chubb was because he didn't have the injury history that Chubb did. And man, that's that's still uh that sting a little bit, Brandon. Yeah, you're not says bitter it. at all about that. Well, the crazy thing was is that they had Schottenheimer on the team and Schottenheimer was at Georgia with Chubb. So it's like, you got to have some kind of inf insider information, right? So apparently uh, not, <laughs> or they just don't pay attention to their coordinators, but yeah. So he, he's been injured and then uh, he comes back from his ACL injury a few weeks back and he, he busts off like a 19 yard run. And we're like, all right, here we go. And Penny limps off the field with an apparent <laughs> injury. And it's like, oh man, but he he did look good against the Texans, and he ran hard against them too. It's it's a guy that I really I hadn't seen that from him in the entire time he's been in Seattle. So I I was kind of I was hopeful, but I didn't have high expectations. And I think what happened in the last game, he went out with cramps. It sounds like, and so that's why DJ Dallas came in in the second half, and somehow they just ran it right down the middle of the defense uh, against the Rams and, and tied it up or got to 10 points. I guess they pulled ahead there with the touchdown with Dallas uh, before they fell back. But yeah, it's uh, I, again, I wouldn't count on him, but they do. There is the focus with Seattle to, to run the football and they've, they've kind of needed it the way that Russ has been performing. It'll be interesting to see if they, lean more heavily on Dallas given that Penny's had this up and down, like he had the big blast against the Texans flash in a pan the week before that. And that was pretty much the high watermark of his Seattle career. Like that, that was the best he's looked in a Seahawks uniform, but again, not being able to be counted on and Dallas having a lot of success in the second half. The Seahawks have been, um, I'll say stubborn 
about some of their opinions about players on offense. And it'll be interesting to see if they flex and say, Hey, let's, let's swap those guys. Let's, let's start Dallas and, and bring Penny in in relief. And that might suit both of those guys, because it doesn't seem like a very, that doesn't seem like a very Seattle move to me right now. They seem, uh, and and we have this on the Chicago side as well. Uh, there's folks with their convictions on our side. It's Ryan Pace and he has his convictions and he goes and gets guys. And on, and on your side, it's the coaching staff and they have their convictions about who should play and, and the plays they should call. And they don't seem to, to flex much based on opponent or opportunity. It's more, Nope, this is the way we think it's, should go. And this is who we think should do it. So it'll be interesting to see if they flex based on, results from the last games or last couple of games if i had to guess i would say that rashad penny is back in as the starter because they do they have that like you're saying they they are set that he can be that guy and they've given him so many chances the fact that he's still on the roster is a little bit mind-blowing because i mean that goes to show you just how many chances that they've given him I, i mean you see what a guy like duke johnson did down in Miami this past weekend. And I think <laughs> that guy was out on the street and that is the physical style of running that this team has been looking for. And you don't even bring that guy in for a workout and you go with a guy that just has, you know, and you can sense some of the frustration with Pete Carroll with Penny and that, you know, he, he knows he has the ability, but he just hasn't been able to stay on the field and you hear him in the press conference saying, well, you know, finally got him for back-to-back games for the first time and I don't know how long and um not a good sign it, it's not a good sign but at the same time it's I you wonder why they they continue to stick with that and so if I had to guess it, it would be Penny getting the start but they they probably won't be hesitant to go with you know whether Alex Collins is back in the mix because uh, he was on the COVID list and He's been kind of dealing with injury, but they've been trying to get him back into it too. And and he didn't get a whole lot of playing time uh, down in Houston. And when he did, Penny actually looked better. So that was that was a little bit uh, surprising, I I think, uh, considering the what he's shown these last well the season. What about on defense? Uh, I think we know the big names on offense. Most Bears fans are going to kind of recognize uh, they see the Seahawks enough and they know the big names on offense defense, you know, Bobby Wagner. But other than that, like who are the guys that Bears fans probably should be looking in on that are playing really well right now? Yeah. Well, you should probably know Quandre Diggs from his time with the lions and that Mm -hmm. divisional rival. And he's having a pro bowl caliber season. Once again, a guy who was trying to get paid at the beginning of the year. And he's been the, the team leader in interceptions. So uh, I, I look for him to hopefully have a big game. Um, corners, probably not names that anybody would recognize because the Seahawks fans, it, they, they've been kind of no-name corners that they've been rotating through. And DJ Reed was kind of the uh, the the best guy for the Seahawks here, uh, but then was out with COVID again. Um, not again, but was among the players who were out with COVID against the Rams. Um, Sidney Jones on the opposite side. He's, he's had a nice... Um, a few games coming in now for Seattle. I think the guys that you have to watch for, though, up the middle, Al Woods has been having an outstanding season, kind of the big uh, run-stopping defensive tackle, but also has the ability to get after the passer, and uh, he's he's got a couple sacks this season. And then I mentioned Daryl Taylor, who's who's the sack leader for the Seahawks and kind of that, that young guy that 
that uh, a lot of people, you know, I I think he has upside. And so I'm kind of excited about him too. But those are probably, oh, uh, you probably see a lot of Jordan Brooks who, man, uh, well, EJ, gosh, uh, you know all about (laughs) Jordan Brooks. And um, the guy they took in the first round and maybe a little bit of a surprise, but, you know, top five in tackles along with Bobby Wagner. Now, uh, you know, we, we have our opinions on whether or not being, uh, among the top five is a good thing and ta- to, to be a, among the tackle leaders for a linebacker because one of the things, and we'll see if the Bears employ the strategy against the Seahawks defense, but the Seahawks like to play a lot of zone and they drop back really deep and then it gives uh, uh, the guy in the middle a nice little five-yard cushion uh, and then that's that's really where the defense kind of funnels people is right in that middle and then, you know, uh, they'll if you can take seven or eight yard passes just straight over the middle all day, the defense lets you have that. Now that's something that this coaching staff would have to be able to find on film and then game plan for, and then employ that Uh, game plan correctly. Yeah. Okay. Add that. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Ain't going to happen. Maybe they need to bring me in as a consultant because I, I I don't feel that like that's a really difficult thing to pick up watching the Seahawks defense. But do you have any head coaching experience? I mean, I'm just asking because there's probably going to be an opening. Like, should be an opening. I don't know now. Sure. Um, But yeah, now I got asked this. uh, I went on a Ravens pod before the Bears played the Ravens and. He was like, what schematic tendencies do you think the Bears coaching staff is going to see and exploit? And I was like, (laughs) (laughs) and he was like, what are you laughing about? I was like, you're assuming that they could see them and that then they could come up with something to exploit them. And, you know, one of those two things is certainly not going to happen. And he was like, really? Because he's coming from a Harbaugh coach team for the last billion years. And he's like, well, that's what NFL coach, right? That's That's what what, coaches do. That's what good teams do. Right. And I'm like, you're right. That's what good teams do. That's not what Nagy and his staff do. So uh, you might get away with that big seven, eight yard cushion right down the middle. Yeah. Justin Fields just thrown to the sidelines all day. Well, I guess I'll take that. Sure. All right. I want to get into this because in the off season, it looked like there was a lot of smoke coming out of Seattle and Chicago, that there was going to be a deal in place for the bears to acquire Russell Wilson. Russ kind of wanted out. There was, a, again, a lot of reports. We, you know, EJ and I hear some stuff behind the scenes, certainly not directly kind of third hand stuff every once in a while. We get a little nugget, you know, and we feel pretty cool about that. And it was like, no, this is a real thing. This is a real thing that looks like it's it's not a done deal, but it looks like it's down the road. And so my question to you on the other side of that, Russell Wilson, you know, Super Bowl champion, obviously means a lot to this franchise. How were you feeling during all of this? Were you confident that Russ was going to stay in Seattle? Did you feel like, well, maybe I'm open to this idea of trying to accumulate draft picks and and get something for Russ now while he has a lot of value? Like, where were you at when all of this was kind of floating around? I I was out on the idea of trading Russ. I I was, (laughs) even if Chicago were to throw in the Bulls franchise to bring basketball back to Seattle, I I felt like that was, uh, if they were able to throw that in somehow, it it would still, it would come up short in my mind. I, I was, I was definitely out on the idea of trading Russ. Okay. So now that we have played out this season and, you know, has not gone well for, for the Seahawks, where do you think, Russ and Pete Carroll are at with their future in Seattle. And do you see a, a big sea change coming? Mm, the million dollar question. I think well, that's why you're here. 
<laughs> man, oh Checks man. Checks in the mail. Yeah, if I if I knew what Russ wanted, um, he always talks about legacy and that sort of thing. And so I, I do feel like Russ is one of those guys that if he had it his way, he would want to stay in Seattle for his career. I just, I don't know if... I, we we tried to rank it this week uh, on on the Seahawkers podcast of things that were most likely to happen, and in terms of you know would it be Russ and Pete coming back next year? Would it just be Russ coming back with a new coach next year, or would it be Pete coming back with a new quarterback? And I feel like the last one is the least likely of the mm-hmm. bunch. I don't think that Pete starting over with a new quarterback is, is something that would happen. But, you know, to go back to your, your question about the trade idea, because at the time it was what, like three first rounders, it would have been that top 10 pick. Maybe I know Akeem Hicks was talked about in there as well. Mm-hmm. Would I have been okay with a deal like that in hindsight, maybe just because a, a young quarterback and a couple first round picks and, you know, talented defensive tackle, which they could have used. But at the time, I don't think any of us were looking at, at Justin Fields being available. Uh, sure. The top 10, or, you know, at, at where the bears picked him. So I, and that was one of the reasons why I, any type of trade, if you're giving up Russell Wilson, you would have to get, I, I think a young quarterback with upside and a couple of first round picks. And I don't know, based on what we've seen from Russ this past season, even going back to the second half of last season, are there any teams now that would be willing to do that? As a Bears fan, would you give up Justin Fields and two first round picks? No, no. we wouldn't. <laughs> no, we wouldn't. Because the Bears, we've talked about this at length. The Bears lucked into Justin Fields. There is no way that Justin Fields should be a Bear. Like there are 50 things that happened exactly the right way that Fields ends up in Chicago. Now that he has, and the Bears have seen what an actual quarterback looks like, or Bears fans have seen what an actual quarterback that you're talking about, young quarterback with upside looks like. No, nobody is letting that guy out of town. I want to ask you a question about something that's bubbled up and it's it doesn't have a, a ton of weight behind it, but it's been consistent over the past three, four weeks. And that's the idea of Russ to the Giants. And Dave Gettleman's going to leave. They're certainly not very settled on Danny Dimes as the quarterback. A lot of people talk about what what the situation would be like for Russ if he ended up in New York City in terms of opportunity for him and his family. And like the Giants franchise is not bereft of talent. Like Gettleman has not done a great job, but it's not one of those franchises that has no players anywhere. Like there are offensive weapons for us to work with. Gettleman famously invests a lot in the offensive line. They have some young players there. They need a few more, but it's not a bottom of the barrel franchise and he could come in and have success presumably pretty quickly. What do you think? uh, What do you think about the legs of that idea of, of Russell ending up as a giant as a destination? If he is indeed going to leave Seattle. Yeah, I I don't necessarily buy the opportunity type thing as far as being in the big city because, you know, it's not like Seattle was 20, 30 years ago where if Mm -hmm. you were in Seattle, 
you know, you weren't getting on the shows, but we see Russell Wilson with all the endorsements and, you know, he's always hosting things and cause you can fly anywhere, anytime. And he, he has that personality that I think, you know, people that companies want to tie themselves to. So I, I, I take that part out of it. So then it's just, it, it comes down to the football part and I don't, I don't know if, if I were to try and put Russ with a situation that made the most sense in terms of coaching, I would put him in New Orleans with Sean Payton. Yep. Uh, I don't think that that would necessarily work. I, they might struggle with that based on their salary cap situation. <laughs> I, I don't know about that. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't see it. I, I don't see him leaving town. Okay. You hope not. You hope not is hope what not, you're saying. I, I, I just, I, I don't see it happening. I, I don't see the package that a team could put together that would make it. And unless he's pounding the table, mm-hmm. I want out, you know, get me out. Of, I, I just, and we saw it come as close to that with the whole, if Russ were to want a trade, he would want it to these four teams, which, you know, was weird. That was crazy. Um, I guarantee you, I promise you, if Russell Wilson trade news breaks, you are the first person I'm going to call. <laughs> That's fair. I, I really, you know, it's, I, part of me, it wouldn't be surprised just based off of all the, you know, all the smoke right around it. Sure. But I think it's just one of those topics that it's people like to talk about the the nfl loves the idea of you know russell wilson being somewhere or at least nfl media you know that uh mm-hmm. a topic that generates a lot of conversation and i just it uh for any quarterback we saw deshaun watson uh you know probably the most talented quarterback that had serious enough issues that the texans would want to get rid of him and they couldn't find a trade partner for him. I'd uh, say that's a little bit different than Russ's situation. Yeah, there's, there's they still no trade partners, but they had the legal stuff bit. they wanted to get yeah. sutured oh, up. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I'm saying that that's a quarterback with talent that was probably the most, the next most tradable. And yeah, it, I, I, obviously has issues, but the Texans also wanted to get rid of him. Yeah. I don't think Seattle wants to get rid of Russ. Okay. I, I think that it's interesting that I, I, I kind of want to probe a little more and I don't want to like poke the bear, you know, and you're in Montana and you got bears. So like, yeah, probably. I, you know, I, I think, I think it's an interesting question with, with a, with a, a legendary quarterback who is wanting to prove something else. Right. Like I, I, like Manning is a different story because he had the neck injury and they let him go, but Manning went on to Denver and he, you know, he, he proved, that he, he came back, you know, Brady, obviously with the split with Belichick going out of Tampa, proving that he can do more. There's a lot of quarterbacks at the end of their career. They think they've got more. There's plenty of like weird Jersey, you know, combinations of, of great quarterbacks that go play one more year, two more years. You know, there's the, you know, all the way back to like Joe Namath wearing a Chargers jersey, right? Like there's just some weird stuff out there, but it does seem like there's a little bit of this, you know, design, you know, Philip Rivers, you know, went and played for the Colts for a year, right? Like there it's is something about it. End. It's always at the end though. Right. And unless the Seahawks are looking at Russ and this finger thing and thinking it's, you know, similar to Kurt Warner and his thumb to where they don't think that he can 
be that same guy coming off the injury, then in that case, then I could see them making the deal. If they, they saw this as the potential end, but I don't know if it is. Did you, then, did you see Rich Eisen's thing today? Just hmm. so Rich Eisen show, he had a five minute monologue today about just a, a feel. He talked about all the things surrounding him, but he just said it felt to me as I watched the end of that Seahawks Rams game, like this is, this is the curtain on the Russell Pete era, right? That one of those things is going to change again. Maybe Russell stays and Pete goes, maybe Pete stays and Russell goes, whatever, however you rank that. But Rich was just sort of like, it feels like this thing's run its course. Yeah. And I can see that. I, I think that it does, it does feel that way as even as a Seahawks fan that based on the trajectory of things, I, I, but if I had to put money on the thing that would happen, most of those things, Russ comes back, no Pete, Pete and Russ come back. I, I kind of put it as Russ comes back and not Pete as, as the thing yeah. I think would be most likely. Okay. That's where I was going. So um, let's move on to the speed round. This is a little bit more fun. I've got one off the top that I'm going to ask you that's not on the list. Um, and that is, since you're in Montana, but you're a Seattle fan, bison burger or smoked salmon? Oh, I'm, I'm a burger guy. Okay. All right. That, I, that's a good quick I've, answer. I'm, 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 I'm obsessed with smoked salmon. So I, I just. Smoked salmon's really good. I mean, I've, I've had both in the last two days. <laughs> uh, uh, anyways, uh, I'm going to ask this one. Favorite Seahawk of all time, because I got to do a little bit of growing up in Seattle. So I actually remember the Wayback Machine. I got to see Steve Rabel on the field, not behind the mic. So, wow. yeah. Uh, favorite Seahawk of all time? Because there's a lot of great players that have played in Seattle. Well, Dave Craig was my quarterback growing oh. up. And so I, I, I like some Dave, but you know, if I have to, if I go to that era, Steve Largent, also my guy, you know, the sure. blue angel poster on the wall. Yep. Uh, I got, I got my, I got to meet him in person, you know, the 10 oh. year old, 11 year old me to get an autograph. Oh, cool. uh, I had him nice. autograph one of my cards. Uh, so that was a memorable moment that I had with a, a Seahawks legend that uh, it, it stuck with me. Cool. Who's your favorite Seahawk defender since we talked about a couple of offensive guys? Ooh, of all time? Yeah, of all time. Man. Guy um, you liked. Doesn't have to be the greatest. Doesn't have to be a Hall of Famer. Just guy you liked watching. Yeah, well, man, there's there's so many to choose from. But mm -hmm. uh, Marcus Trufant comes to mind with him For being sure. the local guy. And, uh, you know, before they – I, I kind of think of him as kind of that – not a shutdown corner, but just a, you know, a, a lifelong Seahawk and mm -hmm. uh, yeah, just uh Trufant's one of those guys for me to Lofa Tatupu yeah. uh, was always one of my mom's favorite players. And then he's being able to interview him now doing this. I was going to say, you've had Lofa on the show. You got to yeah. give Lofa some love. Yeah, absolutely. So that was, and you know, thinking back to the Super Bowl and him, you know, at linebacker just was always, just a tough dude and uh and, and a super nice guy too so yeah he's he's definitely on my list of favorites too hmm. no no mention of uh like a sherman or anybody like that that's interesting well, i uh, now if everybody likes sherman boom guy cam chancellor can't sure. he, uh, okay if he's going legion of boom okay he's yeah. going boom he's going bam bam that's cool uh this this is a throwback another throwback question uh, this is a would you rather question. Would you rather attend a 
Led Zeppelin concert in their prime at full volume in the kingdom, which was a concrete stadium or an overtime game in a sleet storm in the open air seats at Lumen field. Mm. It's tempting to go with Zeppelin because I've never been to a Led Zeppelin concert. Um, and I did like watching games in the kingdom, but I think of, I'm not a stadium concert guy. So I, I just, they, they always sound weird The you know, you have the sound bouncing off the sides. It's mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's never good. So I absolutely in the overtime game, even, even in the sleet storm in, in open air seats. I, as a true audiophile, I, I can, I can see where I you saw, came up with the answer for that. question. I saw Metallica at, uh, at CenturyLink Field, and it was it was okay, but I yeah, but that's open air. Like the kingdom was literally a oh yeah egg. Yeah. Like it was a terrible place for sound. Yeah, so, well that's that's what I mean. It was it yeah. was not great in an open air stadium. <laughs> yeah, inside of a stadium. Mm. Yeah. yeah, no, painful. Painful would be my description of that. And uh, favorite food treat when you get to Seattle for a game. Ooh, what do you have to have? Yeah, well, one of the things I love to get is Beecher's mac and cheese down, uh, down in Pike Place, uh-huh. and especially you know because you can get a cup of the mac and cheese and it's it's like so filling that it carries you through the entire game, so you don't have to spend a lot of concessions. Uh, you can you can fill up with the breakfast mac and cheese, and you're good to go for the whole game day. Oh, that is a that is a pro tip, right? That's there. a pro tip. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I like that, and. Um, you know, if you're going to stand in the sleet, then you're already warmed up from the from the mac and cheese. Absolutely, yeah, it's it's the perfect game day meal. It's awesome. Love to get out there for a game. That'd be a lot of fun. We'll have to we'll have to do that sometime when the Bears don't play like on Christmas, you know, and, and not in a pandemic. Well, I know we'll yeah. have to make that happen. Yeah, EJ and I were planning on on making that game together, and uh, yeah. my, my seats are still available for you if you need them. Uh, well, maybe. I, it depends on how much I want to get out of the house after Christmas. I don't know. If Christmas is great, I'm not going to be super motivated. If if Christmas is an absolute uh, you know, tire fire, I might be like, hey, Brandon, yeah. <laughs> can I go sit and sleep for a couple hours? If Pete Carroll can convince the NFL to move the game to Monday, uh, like he was trying to do ahead of the Rams game even, then that, that would give you an extra day at least. There yeah, you go. for sure. Well, I really appreciate all the knowledge, Brandon. It's great to finally meet you. I know that EJ has gone on your podcast a lot, and he's coming back on your podcast. If you want yeah. more EJ and Brandon, they are going to be recording Field Goals uh, podcast right after this, and that'll be out soon. But where can everybody find your stuff, Brandon? Yeah, you can go to uh, my my other show, Seahawkers Podcast, is at seahawkerspodcast.com. See my Twitter handle, at seahawkerspod. That's how I got into podcasting. Field Goals asked me to do their show. And so kind of uh, doing a little podcasting everywhere. So check it out there on the SB Nation network. SBNation.com slash NFL podcasts is a good place to check out our show. Check out all the shows. Awesome. Yeah. Check out this show. You can check out all the. All Maybe the, here. All the but, you know, yeah. It's, there's other shows to fill your time if you need it. Yeah, really I mean, just you know, know, start with the bear stuff and then and then you know go check out Brandon's stuff and you know the other people that we've talked to, the other fine podcasters, you know, go check out their stuff. But really appreciate the knowledge and the time, Brandon. We'll let you go here. We'll let EJ uh finish this up and, and let you guys record your field goals. Sounds great. Appreciate it. Thanks. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. 
As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. All right, AJ, we're back. So great stuff from Brandon. Really appreciate you making that introduction and bringing him on. I know you guys have done a lot of work together, a lot of draft stuff, I think, because you're yeah, a local sure. guy and, you you know, they, they made that connection. So I um, heard you talk glowingly about Brandon in the past, and, and I can see why. So appreciate uh, his knowledge. I wish it was under better circumstances. I wish these teams were fighting for a playoff spot, but um, they are fighting at the bottom <laughs> of the of the NFC. But um, Lester and I had a really good recap show right and mm-hmm. it was a, a terrible game right it was 17 and 9 you know it was the offense couldn't score and all this kind of stuff you might think we were really down we had a really good approach to the show because we actually felt okay about the game because there was a lot of interesting stuff that happened there's a lot of interesting stuff to talk about these young players are getting opportunities like we wanted and we we're able to see um, what they can do and so we wanted to kind of spend the rest of the show just checking in on those young players because that is the goal of a lost season is to try to see what you have and and if any of these guys can be long-term contributors. So first guy finally getting back on the field after he, you know, is coming back from injury and pressed into service the week before because Jason Peters went down this Tevin Jenkins got his first start couple penalties, but otherwise I thought Jenkins looked pretty good. Yeah, there was a lot of uh, improvement, I will say, in his past set specifically. Um, Jenkins, known as a mauler, as a as a hyper aggressive run blocker, as a power guy, um, was also good as a pass blocker in college. But in that first start, he just looked rusty. And honestly, if you consider it his first ever preseason game, because that's what it was, he took no reps in training camp. He took no reps in the preseason really was his first live speed action in the NFL. And if you consider it his first preseason game, he looked okay, but he looked rusty. Been away from football. He playing left instead of right. He's more familiar at right. I know he says he's more comfortable at this point at left tackle than he is at right, but there's still some muscle memory there. And it showed. He had a couple hitches. Um, the depth of his pass set was not great in the game where he came in for Peters. It looked a lot better this week. His pass sets looked much, 
more solid. He'd cleaned up the depth thing. That was obviously something he saw on tape and said, hey, I'm just not going far enough out. I'm giving them the corner. And if they dip that shoulder like the, you know, like he did against the Packers, I'm not going to get them. They're going to get to field. So I've got a I've got a mirror all the way and maybe a half step further. So if they dip, I'm just going to push them down. Um, they're not going to be outside my reach. And it looked like that was cleaned up. And that's really encouraging. That's the kind of thing we're talking about. As you go out, you make some of those initial mistakes. It's not a physical talent thing. It's just a strategy thing, if you want to talk about it like that, a technique thing. Um, and I think he looked a lot better. Now, he still had a couple of penalties. People are going to get on him about that. Those are mental mistakes. We'll see if those clean up. I think they will. He was not a terribly penalized player for what we'll call mental errors in college. <laughs> he got penalized for his aggression occasionally, but in terms of false starts, things like that, um, not something that showed up on his college tape a lot. So I'm not terribly worried about that. I think he can clean that up too. Now, the big story with Jenkins was, uh, you know, Fields took a push near the sidelines. Jenkins was the only one that went over. He mixed it up. He threw a punch. He shouldn't have. But a lot of people were like, hey, that's great. We need some hard-nosed Bears players protecting the asset, right? Nobody else was over there. Shame on them. And then, of course, we talked about it with Brandon. Jermaine Fetty came over and basically bitched him out on national TV, kept it going on the sidelines. And I know you guys on the wrap-up show basically said, you know, Lester said, look, that's not the right way to go about it, right? You, you, you put your arm around him, you say, good job protecting your quarterback, but you don't bitch him out on national TV. And, and I appreciate all of that. I also appreciate that Tevin shouldn't have thrown the punch. Like he got smacked in the face and he threw a punch. He should have just left the smack go because it's always the second guy. I think he knows that. And I think honestly, he was trying to prove a point and set himself up as that, as the enforcer, as the second coming of Kyle Long, right? I am the guy that you don't get to mess with my quarterback like that. Um, didn't think the hit was too bad. I'm not going to get on Jenkins for protecting his quarterback. I am going to get on him for throwing a punch because he needs to be smarter about that. And I am going to get on a Fetty a little bit because I agree with Lester. Like, right idea, wrong way to go about it. Yeah, no, we we called out a Fetty for that is the wrong way to handle that. I think you, you, you kind of laugh, put your arm around him, bring him back to the huddle, you know, and be like, dude, like, we get it. It's over save it for the film room. Like what, what gives Jermaine a Fetty this like <laughs> senior, you know, like, like he's like some sort of, you know, five time all pro, you know, savvy vet sitting there. It's like, get out of here. Right. Like, I mean, yeah, you, you know, you don't have if the it was Brandon Peters. Maybe Jason Peters being able to do that. Yeah. Sorry. Jason Absolutely. Peters. A little bit more rope to do that kind of thing. A Fetty. It was a bit like, what what are you what are you right doing? it's like the wrong w, guy it's like wyd what are you yeah. doing yeah like, yeah well i, I want to flip it over obviously borum didn't play he was out um you know one of the covid guys and so he he didn't play but borum you know what have you seen over the last few weeks when he's getting starts that makes you where, where are you at with him do you feel like he is you know clear favorite to be able to lock down one of these tackle spots and and be able to be a good contributor do you think he's got a long way to go like what are you seeing in his game it's uh we talked about this a couple weeks ago that it's the tale of two cities as a run blocker i'm really encouraged uh he looks good as a run blocker he is getting his guy 
He's getting his feet right. He's getting his angle and he's getting push. And that's what you want as a run blocker. He looks solid to better than solid as a run blocker. And as a rookie, that's good. And as a rookie lower round pick, that's really good. On pass sets a couple of weeks ago, again, he didn't play this week. A couple of weeks ago, he doesn't look as good. Um, he, again, has things to clean up like Tevin Jenkins has to clean up. But Larry Borm's a really interesting guy because I didn't watch him a lot pre-draft. Then the Bears drafted him, and I had seen him in Mizzou tape, and I thought, Borum, what? Why did they pick Borum? And I went back and I watched like five games of Larry Borum after they drafted him and just focused on Borum. Didn't didn't look at the running back, didn't look at, at other players that Mizzou had drafted. And it's a really interesting study because in the beginning of the year, I don't know whether he had an injury or he just wasn't up on his conditioning or whatever, but his body type was completely different. He had mm-hmm. 30, 35 extra pounds in the early games at Mizzou. And he looked it. He looked slow. He looked heavy, powerful, but not agile. And with all the focus on passing in the modern NFL, you need that agility. You can't just be a bulldozer, a mauler anymore. It's not good enough, especially as a tackle, sometimes as a guard, but not as a tackle. You are going to have to keep up with speed rushers and you are going to have to be able to move. But a funny thing happened as you watched. I watched the games in order from him at Mizzou and he was the incredible shrinking guy. He mm-hmm. got more conditioning. He 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 dropped weight. You could see it in his jersey. He he got into much better shape, especially late in the season. It was really stark if you watched the last game and then went back to the first game. You'd be you're like, this is there's almost two different guys. Like he is now spry, he is now athletic. He worked his way into shape. So not sure what that situation was, but that gave me some hope. But I was still like, look, he's a late round rookie at tackle. Like he's, you know, maybe projected backup. We'll see. As a run blocker, I think he's better than that. Is he an automatic shoe in for a right tackle, i.e. don't draft or pick up anybody in free agency as competition? I'm not there yet because of his work to do in pass blocking. But I've seen enough that he is an athletic young tackle. He looks to be outplaying his draft spot. And I could see him playing his way into a very solid right tackle role a la Bobby Massey. And a, a lot of, you know, Bears fans are going to be like, oh, Bobby Massey. Well, Bobby Massey, we agreed, was, you know, pretty average at right tackle. And that was okay. Better run blocker than pass blocker. But he got the job done. Still employed this year. He's starting on another team. Um, you know, I could see Borum getting to that threshold. And that's not a backhanded compliment for a guy that came out of like the fifth round. Um, and wasn't, you know, really heralded. So I think Borum's got a chance. Is there that sort of absolute lock? Oh, they're, you know, they've got bookends, they're set, no competition needed. I'm not there yet. I think that's premature. But is there that possibility that they got lucky with a late round tackle that will be starting for them for several years on a very budget contract? It's it's definitely possible. I'm interested to see if he can you know, continue to work on that body and continue to to get that into uh, you know more NFL shape or more functional strength. I think is important. I, you know, you you you've said a couple times like he you know with power, but 
it's not how that's not exactly how I've seen it. I, it. It seems to me like he probably was winning more with size, with mass. Like when he's winning on in pass blocking, he's winning with his frame, which is fine. Um, but I don't see the functional strength quite yet. But I do see the quickness to get to the second level, to stick on the blocks at the second level, which is good. Um, I'm just not seeing him overwhelm anybody. Whereas you see Tevin Jenkins come in. Mm. <laughs> and and he had a couple of he got a couple of plays where he's he's wanting to move the pile right so I'm not seeing strong beastly right tackle yet but that's fine he's a rookie like he's going to have that opportunity he has the frame and he looks like he he potentially has the the athletic ability to get to that level if he can get more of that functional strength I'm interested to see what that does for him to be able to try to move guys off their spot so um, that's just what I've seen and I haven't I haven't watched every snap focusing just on him yet. I mean, there's plenty of time in the off season to go back and do that stuff. But when I have gone back and looked, that's what I have seen out of Borum is, and it's enough for me to be like, hmm, okay, like let's see what another year does. I think about the jump that James Daniels took and like James Daniels right. wrestler, weightlifter at, at Iowa, um, you know, a guy you were very familiar with as a Hawkeyes fan, but still like had his moments as a rookie where you were like, Oh, you know, Hey, the technique's great. Leverage is good, but uh, he's not moving that guy. And then the next year, we went to camp, mm-hmm. and he walked by us in you know football pants and a t-shirt, and we were like, "Who is that?" And you were like, "I think that's James Daniels." And I was like, "No way, man! He's like thirty-five pounds heavier than Daniels looked last year." And it was it was James Daniels after a full NFL offseason. And his body had transformed. He had become an NFL guard. And, you know, I I would be interested. I, if I was Larry Borum, I would hang out with James Daniels. Yeah. And be like, what are you eating, man? What's your lifting regimen? I'm going with you because I need to add that functional power because I have the frame. I have the movement skills, but I need a little bit more ability to jack guys out of the way. Yep, definitely. We're on the same page with that. Why don't we get to the rookie uh, defensive back who finally got onto the field, um, Thomas Graham Jr. I mean, what a debut! Yeah, this is a this is troubling for me because this is a two sides of the coin argument. Um, Thomas Graham Jr., a duck out of Oregon, played outside mostly for Oregon, but also played in the slot. Opted out of the season before he was drafted, so didn't play in the bowl game last year. The last time Bears saw him was a bowl game before his, you know, last season in Eugene um, was gone for a whole year. But when I went back and looked at his tape, I liked his frame. He had enough size to play outside. He had experience playing outside and was effective there. Um, Also had some slot reps, which made him, uh, you know, to me attractive with that versatility, but I really wanted to see him, especially with this bears depth chart, get shots outside because he can play there. And he did a little bit in the preseason and he looked a little bit like Tevin Jenkins did when he came in without a lot of reps, he was rusty and he did get burned. Our colleague at WCG, Ken Mitchell brought this up and said, look, you know, he got some shots early on and he didn't look good. And Ken's right. But (laughs) here's the huge but like we are now at week 15 going into week 16. And the Bears secondary outside of Jalen Johnson and Eddie Jackson when he has been healthy and in there has been really crappy. 
Like there is nobody there that you're like, well, they too are young and developing. So I would like to see what they have. Mike Kindervilder is a young corner. Duke Shelley is a young corner. They have not showed flashes quite the opposite. They have showed, I know how to get burned and give up a crazy EPA per play. Like they've been getting trashed. And when the pass rush, specifically Robert Quinn, hasn't been getting home, they've been giving up massive amounts of yards. And I think it was really refreshing for Bears fans to look at a corner and go, oh, they can they can step in front and get their hands on the ball. That's legal. <laughs> like, and Graham did it three times in this game, came away with three pass breakups, um, generally looked aggressive, played with good leverage, was in the right place, tackled well on outside yeah. runs, which is another thing that I'm a sucker for and am totally fine with that. We'll put that bias out there. If a cornerback doesn't tackle, don't put them on my list. Like, especially in the NFC North, you got to be able to seal the edge against guys like Dalvin Cook, right? Even if you don't make the tackle, you have to be able to push that defensive back back into his face and cut him into the inside lane. So Hicks or Mack or whoever's flowing to that play can come or Roquan can come clean him up. If you're just going to stand there and kind of ole and let him go by and get yourself pushed out of bounds, they're going to pick up an extra 10 or 12 yards. Graham showed all of that. He showed good instincts, good leverage, the ability to get his hands on the ball, and the ability to tackle. And it leaves me frustrated that we're this late in the season. You're going to tell me that suddenly the light came on in week 15 and Thomas Graham suddenly did whatever it was you wanted. No, everybody was out. The entire secondary was COVID or injured. They needed to. There was no other reason. And he comes out and he plays the lights out against Kirk Cousins, who, when he's hot, is very good. And interestingly enough, he was matched up on Jefferson. Graham was matched up on Justin Jefferson, who is probably one of the top five receivers in the NFL. No question. Period. Jefferson had, like, one catch on him. Nothing else. Ten yards. If you're Thomas Graham and you're coming off the practice squad, forget the bench, to the active roster, and you go up against a top five wide receiver in the NFL in your first live game action mm -hmm. and show that kind of result, that didn't happen overnight. You were ready to do that at some point earlier on. And my piece is, where's the coaching staff on this? And the flip side being, you know, the next guy we're going to talk about, Jesper Horstead, right? Jesper Horstead, 10 catches in his career, three touchdowns, right? He has two touchdowns this season. It's crazy that you're playing somebody like Jimmy Graham over a guy like Jesper Horstead. And it gives me serious pause again with this coaching staff that they know what they have. Jesper Horstead has great hands. He's a former wide receiver, converted wide receiver, now a tight end. And he finds the ball. When the ball's in the air, he finds the ball. He makes catches. He also has more mobility than a, you know, end of career Jimmy Graham. He's faster. He's way faster than Cole Komet. You don't have that on the roster. It's not like, oh, well, he's going to take reps away from X that we paid $10 million. No, you just don't have anybody with those skills. Why are you not playing guys like Horstead and Graham? And it gives me serious pause as to like understanding that the, the coaches understand what kind of talent they have. I just right. don't think they do. And that's a problem. Like, let's be clear. That's a problem. I mean... We talked about it all year. We even just talked about the types of routes that Nagy's offense continues to run. 
doesn't match up with the talent skill set that you have in your wide receiving court, right? Like you, you continue to try to s- squeeze something out of Jimmy Graham that hasn't been there in five years in his career. And you've got a young player who maybe can do those things. Like, let's see what you got with him, right? Maybe. Like he's been able to do some stuff when he's had the opportunities. I don't know when the light bulb turned on for, for Graham, for Thomas Graham, that is, you know, we, we can't know that. But there have been enough struggles in that secondary over the year that you have to wonder why weren't you trying with yeah. the guys that you had on the roster? Um, it's interesting. It you know it's a, it's an interesting question. We won't know the answer. I'm just very happy that he did get the opportunity because it's you know he could have gone into next year without getting on the field if you know circumstances would have been different. So he has this opportunity. Obviously, he's going to play the rest of the year. Like you can't have I that hope. debut. I hope. And here's, uh, you know, here's the two things is one. I wouldn't count on that if we were three weeks ago, because the coaching staff was still saying, well, if we're not eliminated from playoff right. contention and I'm like, does that matter? We all know that you're going to get blown out. If you somehow like last year, sneak into a wild card spot, it's not happening. Like it doesn't matter. That's not the thing. And we've been saying that for a long time that it's all about evaluation and everything else. So Graham gets in, but only because everybody else is scraped off the roster. Now they're eliminated from playoff contention. I would wonder what their argument would be, but I would not be surprised to see him back on the bench. And it would piss me off to no end because he right. played better than anybody, but anybody except a guy named Jalen Johnson in the entire Bears secondary for the whole year. So I could see it happening. I hope like you do that they're like, well, we're out of playoff contention and Graham played good. They did sign him to the 53 man, which is great. That's a good sign. I think he should be starting as a bookend to Jalen Johnson when he comes back at the outside corner for the last three games, because you need to see those reps. Yep. You need to see the reps. So I don't think we've seen enough of Daz Newsome getting his first stuff. So I, I don't really want to spend any time there. We'll, we'll keep an eye yeah, on him. He's an incomplete. He, yeah. again, he got some routes. I don't think they were the best routes for, again, what he showed in college. Uh, they didn't show him in the return game, which is also a skill he had in college. He returned some punts and kickoffs in college. Um, we didn't. Yeah, I'm just going to give him the incomplete grade. But again, you're out of playoff contention. What do you really have in the receiver core? We've seen a little bit from Demir Bird. Marquise Goodwin's still out. You you pretty much know what you have in Mooney. Like Allen Robinson is a ghost of Christmas past. He's not playing at this point. Like put Daz Newsom in, in the role he should be in and get him some reps in the last three games and see what he gets when he gets up to game speed. See if that's something or if you need to dip back into either the free agent pool or the draft and pick up another receiver. Just get a little information. You need data. Right. That's what it is right now. We're looking for yes. data. So, well, let's let's get out of here. Let's talk about the beers and, and let's get out of here. So how was uh, your beer tonight? I really enjoyed it. I love Boundary Bay. I will say that unabashedly. Um, their bitter is one of my all-time favorites. Um, I love the the location of it right down in downtown Bellingham. It's a great place to go hang out in a really fun town if you ever get the chance to get up towards the Canadian border. This is really good. Um, a lot of winter beers, I think, tend towards too much of something. Too much malt, too much sweet, 
a lot of times it's like too much caramel flavor. It's just really sort of sickly sweet or super in your mouth. This has a really nice balance of that dark multi character, but um, there's enough tang that you're like, nope, still a beer. Like, yep, that's 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 a drinkable beer. Um, the alcohol didn't overwhelm it at almost nine percent, eight point seven. Um, again, thirty seven IBUs. I think we're pretty well balanced to keep that sugar in check. Um, yeah, absolute winner. Excited that I've got five more of these in the fridge. So the peppermint bark yeti uh, says stout with peppermint chunks, vanilla, and chocolate. Normally, I don't like it when they say chunks in a beer <laughs> that's not something i'm that big of a fan of uh, uh first sip i was like oh i don't know i don't, I don't know. know i don't know if this did it and you know i kept sipping on it i think it kind of actually improved as it warmed up happens a lot with stouts right the flavor mm-hmm. changes a little bit when it starts to warm up um I, i'd say it's i'd say it's pretty decent um i like yeti i like what they're doing i you know i've already said that but they may be going a little crazy with, with the <laughs> variants like again they, they've, they've done some crazy things I've tried most of them because I'm a sucker for it. Um, I would say this is probably one of their better variants. Uh, it's not the best, though. Okay. Well, I think that's fair. For anything that says peppermint bark and it has to do with actual beer, I, I just don't think of peppermint as a flavor that really works with almost any beer. Like, peppermint is a is a very, if you get, like, peppermint oil, or extract like it's very bitey like it has a it has that sort of almost menthol quality to it and i just can't think of like oh it would pair well with this kind of beer i think the best yeti variant is probably the s'mores (laughs) sure so (laughs) there's that (laughs) hard to go wrong with that s'mores beers are good i that's that is a niche that i am into that that will surprise no one that is your pocket Uh, yes i am very much into the s'mores beers so um, all right. Well, what what else is going on? I'm I, we're, we're closing in here. Last couple of weeks, I I put out a visual today that was total whimsy. Like, just I thought it was kind of fun. <laughs> I put, you know, it's just this overlapping Venn diagram kind of thing that I use pictures of overlapping circles, and it was just about ball handlers. So in Bears history, like who's the best running back? Who's the best wide receiver? Who's the best returner? Oh, and then, yes. and then who are the best like in between and then all around? And uh, Gail Sayers is, to me, the best all around because he was an incredible running back. He was also a great kick returner, a great punt returner. He could catch the ball out of the backfield. To me, he was the best all around. And someone, like, nine minutes after I posted it, yelled you know at me coming. yelled at me for not putting Walter Payton in the middle. I'm like, all right, defend yourself. Tell me how Walter Payton was a better kick returner and punt returner than Gail Sayers. And it's like, guys, like, I love Walter Payton. I love Walter Payton. For sure. He's amazing and he deserves all the things. The Chicago Bears have been around for 100 years and there's a lot of incredible talent that have come through the doors, including like first ballot Hall of Famers like Gail Sayers, who also were incredible at everything and have uh, had, had an amazing uh, history returning the ball. For the exercise that I did and that you could only put one player in each circle uh, uh, or use one player um, per exercise here. I believe that was the right answer. So anyway, it's kind of a fun visual. Go check it out on the site. That's that's the big thing that I put out this week, and of course the ten thoughts every week. Um, and we're coming to the end of the year, man. Like I'm, I, yeah. like I said, I'm putting out whimsical things because I've, you know, seventeen, eighteen stats articles. I'm, I'm kind of. Uh, you tapped I'm ready, out. To, I'm ready to take a break. Yeah. No, I will say that Walter Payton was a better passer 
than Gale Sayers. But that wasn't part of the exercise. I understand. Wasn't part of the exercise. You know, very, very small, narrow market. And I'm I'm with you. There are a ton of great Bears players that a lot of people don't know about because they focus on one thing or the other. Although I did hear uh, in the Twitter sphere this week that the 85 Bears weren't special. And uh, Jack and I went to town on that. Uh, that tweet was removed and the account was locked within the hour. Just I believe so that you know. that young man made a misstep. He 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 learned. He learned. Gonna go, go learn today. Respect your elders. Response. Uh, just just hey, watch a little YouTube. Like eighty five bears were indeed special at every level. Um, yeah. So now uh, bootleg already out. Um, at this point, uh, we too are running to the end of the end of the year and and talking about you know playoff seedings and playoff settings. Um, just got my Shrine Bowl credentials today, so that's uh, coming up pretty quickly into January down in Vegas. Um, that's a move for that game. Their their first year in Vegas, it'll be at Allegiant Stadium. They're um, partnering with the Pro Bowl, so that'll be interesting. The Shrine Bowl players get to mix with the Pro Bowl players, which is pretty cool. Um, lots of other cool stuff going on at that game. So I'll be there as well and uh, have submitted for senior bowl credentials. So um, all the draft stuff is, is quick and coming. You're starting to see like Christmas mock drafts and top 100 lists are coming out. So it's, it's here. Um, I'm trying to just put the blinders on and, and make it through the holidays and, and then I'll, I'll open the doors on draft season. But um, yeah, it, it's coming, but uh, it's going to be a busy I'd like to say probably about six weeks, uh, but it's probably going to be like three or four months. Don't don't tell my family. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll lock you in the room at some point, but we need a couple yeah. episodes out of it yet. So uh, thanks for joining us on this one. We appreciate it. Uh, check us out on YouTube if you get a chance to do that. Uh, like, subscribe, comment, and all that fun stuff. Uh, enjoy your holidays. We'll be back next week. Until then, bear down. Bear down.